Hello from the Clio Cloud Conference online everywhere in the world. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm George Saharis. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us on the road, virtually speaking anyway. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's our first conference since, uh, gosh, must be back in March when we did ABA Tech Show. But uh, I have a great guest, one of my favorites, of course, George Harris, joined us from Clio. Welcome to the show, sir. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Lawrence. Absolutely. You know, this is becoming a regular thing. I'm glad we were able to maintain this tradition, talking about the Clio Legal Trends Report. You know, obviously, I'm biased here. It's one of my favorites uh, of the year that comes out, and I think just such insightful information. But, uh, you know, you're the chief operating officer now. Is that a recent uh, promotion, I think? It's sort of recent. I mean, by my uh, tenure at Clio recent, but it's been a couple of years. So about halfway through 2018, I uh, switched from a uh, Pretty similar sounding job, which was VP of business operations to uh, chief operating officer. Thanks for noticing me. Yeah, well, no, it took me a while to notice. This is why I don't get invited to a lot of parties, George. So, <laughs> so but uh, anyway, I know this year has been a little bit different. I definitely want to get into that. But, you know, how long have you been at Clio? Has it actually been 10 years? It has. Uh, actually, just in August here, I celebrated my 10-year, what we call Cleoversary. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a long time. So when you started off, what was your, what was your position when you started off? It was a great story. When I first started at Clio, I didn't actually really have a position. I just had like a specialty. So I was called customer development, a brainchild of a conversation between Jack Ryan and myself, Jack and Ryan being the two co-founders of the company. And uh, eventually that turned into like a real job, uh, which was a manager of our strategic partnerships and a director of business development uh, shortly after that. So really focused on when we first entered the market, working with partners, law schools, bar associations, uh, et cetera. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's get to it. Let's talk about the Legal Trends Report. I know this year has been different. There's been sort of tricklings out, these uh, these impact briefings, of course, related to COVID-19, and a lot of that transition into this year's report. But there's some other stuff, too, I want to get into. So let's start at the very beginning. You know, let's uh, let's learn what's new to this report and then how those impact briefings got in there. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that as the realities of the COVID pandemic hit, we decided to change up our approach in a really important way. So instead of doing our, our usual uh, move, which is releasing a whole raft of insights together on an annual basis, uh, we plan to do that and to start publishing more insights in real time. And those showed up as these recurring impact of COVID briefings we did where we wanted to track how significant and noticeable the shock was on an economic side to the legal profession. We saw very quick uh, you know, reactions to a lot of the economic shutdowns that we saw, where we saw uh, matter intake volumes across the board, uh, and also billings uh, really take a steep decline, especially through the earlier periods in April and March, March, April, and May, I should say, and sustaining like a bit of a rebound, but still not returning to previous levels through the summer and into later this year. So we started off with those. Uh, and then as we started to get our initial observations, really dove into a few areas that we published as part of the Legal Trends Report this year. Okay. You know, were there any uh, standouts? I know that so I've been watching the trends. And so there was definitely this dip in March, April, uh, really pretty sharp decline. And then it's sort of been gradually coming back up, but it seems to be a little flat this last quarter, uh, which, you know, obviously to uh, some is a little bit alarming, but, uh, you know, was, was it, uh, obviously I don't think it was the same across the boards. Uh, some, you know, some specialties in law were doing better uh, than others. So any insights there? Yeah, so a couple of things we noticed early on. Obviously, the places that were hardest hit by the pandemic had even more significant decreases in business and in revenue resulting from that business. So New York being a great example that we were able to publish. 
We also saw transactional practice areas get hit the hardest. So perhaps unsurprisingly, things like traffic offenses, criminal defense, personal injury, not only did they kind of go through that, uh, you know, trough that we saw in terms of, of demand, that steep decline, they felt it more strongly as they slowed down more than most. So for traffic offenses, for instance, we saw in some of these uh, periods as much as a 70% decline in matter intake versus previous levels. So pretty big, uh, you know, impact and going with the theme of 2020 kind of fits into the tough news category, right? Like things were not pretty out there as folks felt the, the knock-on effects of was arguably one of the most unique economic scenarios we've ever experienced. At the same time, though, something that stood out from this year's report was that some firms started to really pull ahead of others in the way that they performed. Uh, where we saw that was in firms that deployed these three kind of cloud-based but also client-facing technologies. And those were online payments, legal intake and CRM, and uh, client portals. So online interfaces where people were sharing stuff with their clients. And of course, all things that became more useful than ever in shelter in place or work from home uh, and virtual uh, working environments. So really interesting to see that. And altogether, firms that implemented all three of those solutions in August of this year collected 40% more revenue per lawyer than those that had none of those solutions implemented. That's pretty impressive, you know, and, you know, just kind of watching some of the other stats on your report, you know, that definitely stands out, you know, people that were able to get in front of that early, uh, I think the earlier you got in front of that, the better off you were, you know, I want to, I want to transition to some of the layoffs and furloughs. And so I know that there's been some uh, confidence issues, I think, uh, you know, with, with the business aspect of the legal profession. And so how are we looking on layoffs and furloughs right now? Yeah, it's looking like we saw a pretty steep series of layoffs and furloughs early on in the pandemic as well. And very, it's very similarly mapped as far as I can tell to the revenue total. So as businesses bounced back a bit and stayed kind of flat, I think we're seeing the same pattern emerge with the confidence level the different firms have uh, and with the sapping that they choose to, you know, how and when they choose to bring folks back from furloughs. I think there are some questions though remaining as we get deeper into the pandemic and, you know, perhaps what some people would think of as a second wave. Uh, we could see, I think, another round of adjustments made in firms that are really working hard to make ends meet, but might not be able to keep everybody on board or bring them back as they plan. So I'd say, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing somewhat of a, a bounce back and, and then a flattening through the course of this previous quarter. But I don't think we're, uh, we're fully out of the weeds here yet. Yeah. One more thing that was discouraging to me was just the confidence that attorneys are putting into their own practices. And so maybe some comments uh, to that effect as well. Yeah, I mean, throughout one of the things we did in this study was what we call a longitudinal analysis. We're asking people kind of the same stuff over a projected period of time and seeing if that changes. And something that hasn't changed much is this confidence level. So we have the majority of law firms more concerned about their firm's ability to make ends meet and to perform economically than they are even about their own uh, financial or economic well-being as individuals. Uh, and yeah, like you said, they're they're not feeling a ton of confidence yet in being able to totally walk back some of the, the staffing changes that they made uh, previously in the year. We recently did a show on the uh, number of bankruptcy filings, which uh, at initial blush, I was surprised how low they were. But then after uh, we had a guest on, she was talking about some of the reasons why it's delayed. You know, there, there's uh, moratoriums that are still out there and not all of the corrections have hit. And so getting to that, we had your boss on, Jack Newton, uh, of course, CEO and founder of Clio on our March 20th Legal Talk Today show. And one of the things that we talked about was this pent up demand that might still be in the uh, in some of the, the need for legal services that have not 
manifested themselves yet. People are sort of holding back on financials right now. They don't want to get into a legal issue, even though they may really need that help. And so uh, as George looks at me right now, if you're not in the video, you can't really see because I've covered it up very nicely. I need a haircut super bad. So I probably <laughs> have about three or four haircuts overdue. And if I take these headphones off, it'll be a disaster. But uh, that's lost demand. So if I get one haircut tomorrow, you know, the market lost three of those haircuts. Whereas my tires on my Camry, my Toyota Camry, I've, I'm sort of delaying getting those tires, but I will get those tires. So that 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 demand's not lost. And so that's that pent-up demand as opposed to the lost demand. And so, George, just in terms of that with what you all are seeing, how much of the uh, demand on legal services do you think is is pent-up? Yeah, it's a, a great, great observation, Lawrence. It's something that came through loud and clear in, in the analysis. So you know, a, a 2018 study by uh, U.S. the Federal Reserve on economic well-being in the U.S. found that 39% of Americans reported that they couldn't afford to pay for an unexpected or emergency $400 expense. That's about an hour and a half of the typical lawyer's hourly billable rate. And I think we can all agree that that situation has not gotten any better in 2020 than it was in previous years. And so I think what a lot of people are seeing is, to your point, deferral versus a loss of demand. The legal problems and the advice folks need isn't necessarily going away. Their ability to pay for it or to think that they can pay for it is getting in the way of them jumping into the market and looking for a lawyer to help them. And so it's kind of having two impacts on the market. We see 61% of consumers reporting that they don't believe they could afford a legal issue at all. So that's a majority of consumers saying, even if I had a legal problem and I knew that I had a legal problem, I still don't think I'd be able to afford it. We even saw 33% of consumers report that they thought law firms had shut their doors altogether uh, and weren't offering services because they assumed things like court closures were preventing uh, legal services from being delivered, when only, in fact, 2% of the law firms we surveyed reported having at any point uh, closed business. So there's this kind of perception of what's going on out there and perception of ability to pay that's leading to a lot of individuals deferring their legal problems. Now, that hurts big time in the short term, and it definitely maps to that huge drop we saw uh, over the course of 2020 in legal demand. Uh, but it also means that this demand is out there waiting for us, right? And there is this, as we refer to it, tsunami of uh, demand waiting out there. The question is, how are we going to go tackle that demand? And one of the interesting areas we spent some time in the Legal Trends Report is in identifying that we're not really going back to normal in some ways the way we did before. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think you're 100% right on that. I definitely want to follow up on that question. But quick follow-up on uh, on consumers not knowing that lawyers are open. I mean, in this world where we're buying everything on Amazon and things are coming to our front doorsteps like never before, how is it possible that consumers don't know that lawyers' offices are open virtually? You know, it's a, it's a great question. I think that the number one starting point is that, you know, I always reflect back on this statement of state, you're obvious. Uh, and I think of uh, a practitioner I met over the years and back when we were traveling to conferences and, and meeting in person who shared with me the good old days. Yeah, the good old days of reminding their team members something called FTFT, which stands for first time for them. So I think, you know, when you get super experienced and into things as a, a, a lawyer, uh, someone providing legal advice, you get used to it, right? And things that are obvious seem obvious to you. Things that are obvious to you, but not obvious to your clients might surprise you. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here where they don't know, like they're assuming and uh, it's holding them back both from affordability, but also from being open. And I think that the top thing we can do there is communicate, right? Make sure you're getting out there and letting people know. I've seen a few law firms add, we're open to the top of their web pages and make sure that people know that they're open for services. Uh, and those are the simple starting points. 
Well, let, let's build on that because I, I do know that uh, part of the, this year's report was really talking about uh, what um, you know what what consumers were looking for when they're hiring. And so let's say that a uh, the consumer's like, all right, listen, I can't wait any longer. You know, I want to save money, but I really need to get some legal legal help here. And let's say they're like, I, I found a lawyer who's open. You know, what are the things that, uh, especially now with the COVID nineteen new normal, you know, what do consumers care about versus what do they not care about right now? Yeah, super fascinating stuff this year. And and quite frankly, Lawrence, different than what we've seen in, in previous years. Things are changing uh, in, in some very interesting ways. So first, a big part of, of our analysis is always unpacking where lawyer and client expectations and things that matter to them are actually quite different. So we traditionally see this chasm between what lawyers are caring about and what's top of the list for clients in terms of their priorities. This year, a very, very different story. So the top ranking consideration, we asked law firms about what success looks like and what factors drive their success. We asked similar questions of clients and asked what makes a lawyer most hireable. And for the first time in our five years doing the Legal Trends Report or all of my 10 years at Clio, we saw almost identical sets of preferences from both groups. At the top of the list was referrals and reviews. Lawyers are looking to get those referrals and reviews. Clients are now more than ever looking to consult those uh, reviews and referrals from close personal connections. At the absolute bottom of the list was office space. No one seemed to care, I think for obvious reason, how nice someone's physical office space was. It was not a hireability factor for clients. We're not going to pick you based on how cool your lobby is or how much cool artwork you have up in there. Uh, and at the same time, it, it didn't seem to matter much at all uh, for lawyers either. And in between was this really interesting trend around Accelerated technology adoption among clients. We've got stories in this year's Legal Trends report of 90-year-olds signing engagement letters via iPads. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's happening out there. Uh, and at the same time, law firms and lawyers adopting technology both to serve their clients better and to make their lives easier uh, as they you know, adapt to, to building a better normal out there. And so the uh, preferences are converging from one of the first times that I can remember I think what was interesting as well, though, in some of the analysis was clients don't know that yet. So going back to that whole point around, I don't know if they're open or I don't think I could afford it or that a flexible option exists for me to afford legal services at this time. Uh, we also saw clients expecting less of lawyers than they were actually doing, where over 80% of lawyers reported that they were using the cloud to engage with their clients and meeting clients virtually. But a minority of clients expected that that was the case uh, prior to reaching out and, and seeing that that's what lawyers were doing. So Lots of uh, interesting opportunities out there where it's not all bad news, right? And a big theme for us in the Legal Trends Report is to try to connect people with the insights that show them how to get it done and, and how to succeed out there. Well, I just have a couple more questions for you. And so one of these, a uh, real matter of curiosity for me. And so, you know, over time, uh, you know, I've noticed uh, that uh, the cost of tuition at graduate institutions, graduate school institutions, including law school, has gone up and oftentimes it's outstripped the consumer price index. And so I think for the first time on the Clio Legal Trends Report, we see the billable hour uh, listed up against the consumer price index. And then there's also a comparison against non-legal services uh, that are provided out there, like maybe an accountant or, or or someone of that nature. And so what was interesting, George, you all mapped that out from the last recession. And so the last recession, everybody's rates were down. Everybody was below kind of the increase of the uh, of the consumer price index. But the, the billable hour has outstripped the climb past the consumer price index 
whereas other services are either behind the consumer price index or just barely keeping up with it. And so, you know, what attributes that? Because it seems like, you know, things that we're buying today, we're getting uh, cheaper, maybe not during COVID, but, uh, you know, in recent years, you know, we're getting services for less expense. Uh, There's a lot of savings uh, passed on to consumers. So what's going on there? Yeah, I think a, a couple of things. Plus one to your point around the the cost of getting into the profession increasing. So most folks, whether they're able to find a job at a school or hang their own shingle, are still faced with, let's be honest, crippling amounts of debt often, and they need to find a way to get there. And I think that raising prices a little bit faster than in CPI or consumer price indexes is one of those ways where you feel like you might be getting ahead. The challenge is that in the long run, I, I don't think that you do, right? Um you start to price yourself out of the market and start to widen this gap between what could be a lot more volume business out there. And of course, it varies by practice area. It varies by location and, and prices in, in those areas. But there's this short-term you know, win, but probably long-term pain that comes with only focusing on, on raising rates faster than the things that the other things that people are paying for. And I think one of the places that applies pressure is on using technology to streamline the way that you operate. It's not about you know, shortcutting the quality of the legal advice or, or the representation that you're providing folks. It's more about eliminating that other overhead cost. And I think what we see in other professions is a little bit more adoption of technology that streamlines once it is that you've mapped out what client experience you wanna have, how you want your firm to operate, then going and deploying different types of technology to get there. Uh, and the other being, uh, offering a bit of flexibility to clients. So I think we've seen uh, more other forms of professions, like even freelancers that you might consider in other professions, do away with the overhead of a bricks and mortar office, or at least a really, really expensive one, and focus on passing those savings along to their clients without impacting the actual margin that they absorb, like the money that they're making as a practicing professional. So I know that sounds like a lot, and uh, there's always a, a lot to learn and be done, but I think those are a few of the areas that. Uh, are both a challenge, but also a really significant opportunity that's getting accelerated by what's going on out there right now. All right, last question for you, George. And because you put together metrics and all that other uh, type of thing, so I'll ask you to make a prediction. So as uh, COVID-19 goes away, or at least the impact of it goes away, what things do you think will be left with us permanently from the, uh, from the side of the legal profession? That's a great question. And hey, look, no guarantees, but I'll, make, I'll place my bets to you and make my predictions. Uh, I don't think that we're going to walk back from the accelerated tech, tech adoption that we've seen. Uh, I don't think people are just going to go back from the convenience of Zoom uh, and other methods of interaction and also asynchronous stuff. So using web interfaces or apps to exchange information with each other and go back to the inconvenience of meeting in person to do everything. What I do think we're going to do is meet in person for really, really high value interactions. Like when we need to make a connection with someone or there's an important personal human milestone We'll probably still crave that human connection, but we're not going to walk back from things like our 90-year-old signing their uh, retainer letters via iPad and the like. I think it just drives this convenience uh, that we probably would have never tried the first time, but that I don't think we're going to walk all the way back from. And, and for a lot of firms, that's going to have significant ramifications. Client expectations, uh, the way that you position yourself out in the market, they're not going to go back to business as usual before. And, uh, you know, it's a challenge, like I said, but also an opportunity to go back to a better normal uh, once we're once we're through. All right. Well, looks like we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank George for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and leave us a review in your favorite podcast and app. And we'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. 
Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank <laughs> you.